Hi, this is Dale Josie, and welcome to the second season of my national audio podcast series, Aging with Grace 55 Plus. This audio podcast is designed for anyone who either is or wants to enjoy the journey of a lifetime after age 55. Remember, aging is not a time of diminishment, but now is time for the application of lessons and insights provided by some of our best teachers, including experience. This series is made possible through a collaboration with Kentucky AARP and the insurance firm DPL Financial Partners. DPL Financial, offering meaningful benefits clients want and need, like guaranteed income, principal protection, and tax deferral. More information is available at dplfp.com. Today's special edition kicks off Season 2. The previous 12 episodes from Season 1 can be enjoyed on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever listeners enjoy other national podcasts. Including, of course, it can also be heard on my website, awg55.com. Our nation celebrates veterans in the month of November. In an effort to continue focusing much-needed awareness on the plight and issues citizen soldiers face, we're going to discuss veteran affairs with my next guest. Her father proudly served his country, and she embraced veterans during her reign as Miss America 2000. That said, I am truly honored and very grateful to welcome Heather French Henry as my first guest for the second season of Aging with Grace 55 Plus. The program format for Aging with Grace includes opening with inspirational words, meditations, or reflections. This episode, dedicated to veterans and kicking off my second season, required a different approach, including researching material appropriate for men and women who have served in uniform. Reflecting on our freedoms and constitutional rights, former President Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, Those who have long enjoyed such privileges as we enjoy forget in time that men have died to win them. That said, please join me in always thanking a citizen soldier for their service. Returning home or ending their enlistment is the part where veterans must truly feel valued and appreciated. My guest for this episode, Heather French Henry, whom you will meet shortly, discusses several topics of interest for vets, including free services available after serving in uniform. Of course, not all veterans have experienced the horrors of war firsthand. Not all have experienced bullets whizzing by or bombs bursting overhead or buddies dying or screaming in pain, which probably is why Civil War General Tecumseh Sherman once said, war is hell. But for veterans who have had these terrifying experiences or their comrades as soldiers and sailors who have not had these horrific experiences but have served in one of the five military branches, we say thank you. And I leave you with this anonymous saying, May no soldier go unloved. May no soldier walk alone. May no soldier be forgotten. 
may no soldier be left behind when they return home. With November being Veterans Month, I thought it would be great to explore a very important issue of veterans affairs. It's uh, something that's uh, part of our national consciousness. It's something that we dare not forget, especially when we consider the sheer numbers of men and women who've died in defending a freedom, which if you're not aware of it, freedom is not free. A price always comes with that. And so I thought in researching today's topic, I came across some very sobering statistics, which we're going to talk about shortly in terms of issues affecting veterans, which is truly tragic, uh, unemployment, homelessness, mental health, others. And before we get into those, I thought that what we would talk, what we would do is have a guest on whose background and who she's very passionate about veteran issues, veteran affairs issues, which is Heather French Henry. In addition to raise this awareness, a lot of us know Heather French Henry. We know her perhaps as Miss America in 2000, but she also has a BS degree and a master's degree in design from the world-renowned College of Design, Architecture, Art, and Planning at the University of Cincinnati. And then for today's program purposes, Heather French Henry has been an advocate for our nation's veterans beyond just her platform when she was competing for Miss America. She is the daughter of a Vietnam veteran, she has a passion to assist and honor those who have served and sacrificed for our country in so many ways. And right now, we're going to explore some of those ways in helping our veterans with Heather French Henry. Good morning, Heather, and welcome to Aging with Grace. How are you? Oh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. How are you? I am very well. I am very well, thank you. And, you know, when we talk about veterans, there's certain issues, there are certain things in our country which I too am passionate about. One, of course, is aging. I think once you get to a certain age, you shouldn't have to struggle uh, for basics and day to day survival. And I find the same thing, the same passion, which you also share with veterans. You know, it's almost like we as a nation, uh, I want to say turn our backs. That might be kind of harsh, but it's almost like we just don't hold veterans in the same esteem. Why is that? Well, you know, it's interesting. We've come a long way over the years. You know, when I started in 99 and 2000, um, during my current tours, Miss America, our country had grown quite apathetic. We still had, uh, it had been a long time since Vietnam, and the Persian Gulf War was still a little misunderstood as far as being a true war and conflict. Uh, we still had stigma around mental health and uh, issues like hepatitis C. And so we were fighting some very large barriers, especially in the homeless veteran arena. So it seems to me that sometimes in the United States, we need um, sort of a shot in the arm, um, not to be so much punished in saying that, but it's quite true that in, until something really drastic happens to us, it uh, we tend to be pretty apathetic in our patriotism. And so during that year, 99, 2000, we had a lot of obstacles um, policy-wise, not only in Washington, D.C., but in state-by-state state general assemblies with them understanding that there were true dire needs for our U.S. veterans population and also within our military, current military as well. And so we pounded the pavement pretty there were about 250,000 homeless veterans on the street on any given night, which was an astronomically high number. It was a quarter of all the homelessness. And mm -hmm. so we partnered with the Homeless Veteran um, Coalition, the National um, Homeless Veteran Coalition. And so it was really interesting that um, them with the VA and other community partners mm -hmm. like U.S. Vets um, out of L.A. and they have mm -hmm. other facilities across the country and different community-based organizations that we truly started 
fundamentally beating um, the doors down in mm-hmm. Congress and Senate to have them recognize what was truly going on. And of course, mm-hmm. there were stand downs going on, which were sure. veteran organizations yeah. and events happening throughout the cities. And they started in San Diego. And mm-hmm. so we really um, were able to get some champions. Congressman Lane Evans, who was the chair of the House Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, during that time, and Bob Filner and uh, Senator Paul Wellstone on the Senate side, of course, really became our champions. And so throughout that year, we saw some legislation passed. I mm-hmm. testified in front of Congress mm-hmm. a number of times. Yeah. And of course, after my year, 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. So that silver lining, again, as I had said, you know, we really usually in America need a catastrophic event to wake us up, just like mm-hmm. what Pearl Harbor did. um, 9-11 happened. And then all of a sudden, um, civilians really Mm -hmm. started becoming more aware of the state of veterans and military affairs in this country, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they truly thought that if the Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense was running, that things were fine. But 9-11 really opened up a media channel Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. uh, to show people the reality of veterans' needs. And so Mm -hmm. over the last 20 years, We've seen a surge in resources and programming, and so it's pretty phenomenal where you go from having just five centers of excellence in mental health within the VA in 99, 2000, and now every VA has uh, is a center of excellence when it mm-hmm. comes to mental health and also women mm-hmm. veterans. You know, we talked yeah. about women veterans for the first time right. in regards to homelessness back then, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now 20 years later, every VA um, should have or is opening a women veterans specific healthcare mm-hmm. facility on their VA campus. So yeah. it's been about 20 years, but sometimes it does take a while. Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, you know, we're going to come back to talk about some of those resources and programming because I really want to kind of hit that home for our veterans that the programs and resources that you allude to. Um, and, and by the way, this episode of Aging with Grace is made possible by Kentucky AARP and DPL Financial, who support what, in terms of uh, our, our, who also applaud the service of veterans to our nation. Um, Heather, it's very, you know, we talk about statistics. I read that over the past decade, more than 60,000 veterans have died by suicide. 20 veterans die by suicide each day. And so it, it mounts up over the decades. You have almost 80,000 veterans who have killed themselves between 2005, 2017. What is the problem there? Obviously mental health, but there's got to be something else compelling these men and women to, to take their own lives after some of them gave the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Well, you know what, Jesse, what's even worse about that particular statistic is that over half of that number, as far as the 20 or 22 a day, it depends on which white paper you read, certainly on what you know that number really is. But over half of that, uh, which could be you know 11, let's say, for the sake of statistics, are not enrolled in the VA hospital. And about, I don't know, 50, well, not even 50%, but about 40% of them are older veterans that are Korean and Vietnam era veterans. And so we tend to, as a society, Uh, when we see it on the media, we tend to go straight toward the younger women who um, are getting discharged. And it is a problem, certainly within that generation. But we also can't forget those aging veterans. And this is very appropriate for your podcast, because we need to we need to be aware that the issue is uh, across many different age brackets. And Mm -hmm. it's not just young people, but young and old. 
certainly alike. And when you look at and think about that statistic, it's heartbreaking because when you think that there are still Korean and Vietnam era veterans that aren't a hospital, don't know what resources are available. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's even more heartbreaking than, you know, the young ones, because we we do have a lot of programming where we try to reach out to our young men and women who are coming home. We've never Mm -hmm. had more resources than we have now, but it seems to me that we've left some of our older veterans behind when it comes to mental health, because we just figure that, hey, they've you know, learned how to deal with it over time or they've had their chance to find their resources. But the reality is Mm -hmm. that, you know, about 40% of those 20 or 22 a day are older veterans who still also need to know where those resources are. I'm glad you mentioned that, Heather. And by the way, I'm your host, Dale Josie, uh, for this segment of Aging with Grace. Have the pleasure of discussing veteran affairs issues with Heather French-Henry. Um, and Heather, a moment ago, you just mentioned uh, the the older veterans as well. Uh, Two hundred forty thousand uh, veterans are still alive who served in World War II, and they're dying at a clip of about two hundred a day. Their average age is about ninety or older. Out of sixteen million men and women, two hundred forty thousand are still alive. And would you not agree that that greatest generation, you don't complain about those issues, you suck it up, right? Because you are the greatest generation. And I'm glad that you mentioned that those numbers are also older vets in addition to younger vets who've served in more recent theaters. You know, you're exactly right. When we think about that greatest generation, when I first started my Miss America tour, they were the largest uh, population of veterans that we were serving. I did uh, fundraisers with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and other organizations to raise money for the World War II Memorial Foundation because that was like a number one priority to make sure we did not forget their sacrifice and service. Mm-hmm. And but now, you know, 20 years later, you're looking that like here in Kentucky, we have less than 10,000 of those World War II veterans. And of course, that's right. an extrapolated number, right? I mean, it could yes. be lower, it could be a little higher. The VA does a superb job of extrapolating the uh, amount of veterans with different populations and different areas of service. Yeah. Uh, certainly, if anyone is ever interested in that information, you can go on va.gov and find out those statistics. I think it's really eye-opening. Um, you can populate by race, gender, um, whatever you want to populate, you can certainly do it on there, but they they do it state by state, which is interesting. And here in Kentucky, you know, we've done an enormous job of trying to highlight all of their sacrifice and service before they pass away. And when mm-hmm. you're right on the age range, you know, here in Kentucky, we're still doing honor flights and there's veterans who are, you know, 96 to 103 oh. or four. And so yeah. I was just at a send off for uh, another honor flight. And I got my picture taken with like two 97 year olds and they Aww. were still walking around. I'm telling yeah. you, they, they have a lot of grit and we yeah. could all learn something <laughs> certainly from that population. But when they came home, they came right home to work, to farm. There was really no talking about, you know, mental health or shell shock what they called it back then. I mean, we just really didn't diagnose things like that. We Mm -hmm. knew that there were underlining problems, people who were in the field. I mean, you watch movies now and they sort of show that, but it really wasn't talked about. And there was even an enormous amount of them that came home and didn't even finish high school and then went straight to work. And so we found that years later, we were able to be a part of this wonderful movement called Operation Recognition, where the Department of Education and Department of Veterans Affairs partnered together, and we could actually give World War II veterans their high school diploma. 
And then it extended to Korean and Vietnam veterans. And so when I was commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Veterans Affairs, I issued hundreds of oh. those um, honorary diplomas. And it really means a tremendous amount, especially for those World War II veterans. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of them did join the armed forces right out of high school. At the onset of our of our conversation, you mentioned about those cataclysmic events, which tend to grab, which tend to get, uh, galvanize our country. And World War II, like 9-11, was that event. But if you drop out and go to the military, then the war is over. You come back. How do you make that transition to civilian life? And so it's good, it's good to hear that you guys are, uh, were you grandfathering in these degrees, Heather? Was that the idea? Yes. Of high school uh, and so we would, there, there was really one particular that rings a bell to me that was a little more difficult because some of the high schools that they, you know, walked away from to join the war um, no longer exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so uh, we had to do some investigative uh, process to uh, be able to work through a couple of those issues, especially in eastern Kentucky, more rural Kentucky. You see that with a consolidation of schools. Mm-hmm. And we were able to do that with the current high school that was there. And the principal was more than happy to be able to accommodate uh, to accommodate that. And so every state actually has and every you know veteran has the opportunity to be able to do that if they're a World War II Korean or Vietnam veteran. So mm-hmm. for a family or a group that wants to honor a veteran, that's a wonderful way to say thank you. Oh, that's great. Especially the holidays coming up. I couldn't imagine a better gift than someone actually giving someone their degree from the, you know, as from the, uh, from, from the high school they attended. That would be such a great That's right. And we've actually, uh, we've actually seen stories where the veterans participated in the commencement ceremonies Uh, for the high school graduation, which think about that. I mean, what a great way to just highlight their sacrifice and service. And they get to walk across the stage with this uh, new young class. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I saw that on the news the other night where this, uh, in, and I think it was in Texas where this veteran, he was like in his nineties, he walked with the class of kids and it just meant so much to him, you know, and so much for a grateful nation for him to be able to do that as well. Um, we talked about in my research for this program, I was doing research obviously on the world war two veterans, but also there's a lot of, um, educational benefits entitled to, um, Iraqi and Afghanistan veterans as well, which are actually e- educational opportunities, which are able to access. Can you talk a little bit to some of the veteran-specific um, programs that can help um, more recent veterans complete their education? Well, you know, it actually extends even to their dependents. Of course, you've got the GI Bill, which has really transformed over the years and is much broader than what it was even 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. for, you know, any uh, new young military personnel who's discharging, they really need to to really discuss with their exit program because each branch of service has an exit program. Mm -hmm. So they really need to discuss with their exit program what those GI benefits are currently because they're much better than they were uh, when maybe their moms or dads certainly uh, got out of the service. But I do want to impress upon um, are the dependents. So here in Kentucky, we actually have what's called a tuition waiver. And every state gets to determine what that tuition waiver looks like for their state colleges and universities. They have to be a state-funded college or university. And you can go on your state's Department of Veterans Affairs website and get more information about the qualifications. Here in Kentucky, if you are 100% disabled uh, veteran, then your dependents can actually get a tuition waiver uh, to any state-funded college or university. And mm-hmm. I and, and 
again, that's different for each state. Some states, it may be 70%. Some states, it may, you have to have a Purple Heart. There are just different parameters for each state. But here in Kentucky, it's uh, very broad. And so 100% disability for your children to be able to go to school for free at a Kentucky college or university is huge. You know, we talk about the VA, uh, we were mentioning it a moment ago. Uh, I, I was kind of concerned about people who, uh, cast aspersions against the VA. But what's interesting is, because there's actually a push, as you know, in some circles to privatize its health care. Um, but most veterans rate their VA-provided health care as positive. And a recent independent assessment found that when compared with private sector health care, VA, VA health care was better and more efficient. And that was very surprising to me to hear that, given the, the brush of aspersions that's normally uh, how the VA is criticized. Have you found that to be the case as well in terms of services delivered? Yes, I, um, I absolutely agree. And I do understand within any healthcare system, you're going to have a margin of error. My husband was a trauma orthopedic surgeon at University of Louisville. And we think about um, some of the, the dire needs that come in through that particular facility. You know, every healthcare facility has its issues, but the VA is our only nationalized healthcare system. And they by far see millions upon millions of appointments and veterans on a yearly basis. And, you know, of course, there's going to be, again, a margin of error. And if you're a veteran who's not had the treatment that you deserve, certainly that's important to you. But overall, mm -hmm. I will say that my experience with the VA, my father's experience and those who uh, we have serviced has been relatively positive. And I want to impress upon people, the VA is not a secondary healthcare system. A lot of people see it almost like indigent healthcare. It absolutely is not. They are not only the leaders in healthcare in our nation, um, but leaders when it came to like telehealth, um, mm -hmm. being able to share files um, from you know, base to base and hospital to hospital, but then also in research, when you think about um, some of your leading research on AIDS, uh, HIV, hepatitis C, I mean, all of that goes through our VA healthcare system first. Mm -hmm. And so I think about, um, here's how I describe okay. why the VA is important and okay. why veterans should try to utilize the VA if, if they're eligible to do so. So those physical wounds that they receive during their military service, a lot of times, most times, will come with some sort of emotional instability, whether the veteran recognizes that or not. The doctors and the caretakers within the VA healthcare system are trained to know that. They're trained that when a Vietnam veteran walks in the door, that one, they've probably been exposed to a dioxin like Agent Orange and other dioxins. So they're probably higher risk for uh, prostate cancer, for type 2 diabetes, for high cholesterol. There are certain associations with that era of service even alone. So the VA is trained to categorize these veterans within that specific time of service. And there's a whole different, it's like a, a different silo, right? Of, mm -hmm. of ailments and things that they went through. And so when they talk about those physical wounds, they also know that there are emotional instabilities that can come with that. So that also can make a difference on different medications that you're giving based on maybe what they're being treated for with PTSD, what they can be treated for with their physical um, issues. And so civilian doctors just don't know that. You know, when a civilian doctor gets uh, someone that walks in their door and they say, hey, I'm a Vietnam veteran, chances are they're not going to know. So like yeah. urologist, case in point. So mm -hmm. when a civilian a urologist gets a patient, they come in and the patient goes, hey, I'm a Vietnam veteran. 
you know, that typically neurologist is probably not going to go, you know, you're really high risk for prostate cancer, not only because of your age, but also because of your exposure to Agent Orange or other dioxins. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to know that. That's and they're right. also not going to know, hey, and since you are, you probably should go file your for some benefits, um, yeah. certainly for being a Vietnam veteran, if you haven't already, because there's a 10% presumptive. And so you should be eligible for that mm-hmm. system. So there's just so much involved in the VA that makes it world-renowned and super specific to veterans' healthcare specifically. By the way, for our listeners, our guest is Heather French-Henry. We're discussing uh, veteran affairs issues, which is very important to Heather's heart uh, as part of a November when we celebrate our veterans. And this episode of Aging with Grace is made possible by Kentucky AARP and also DPL Financial. Um, Heather, when I was uh, doing some research on this, one, one other question on the VA affairs, and we're going to shift to something else. Uh, when I was looking at resources online, for example, about homelessness and unemployment, et cetera, making claims, it seems like a majority of the websites I was looking at kept referring to saying, find a good lawyer who can help veterans deal with X, Y, Z. But I'm thinking mm-hmm. if I'm homeless, you know, if I'm in a world of hurt, lawyers are not free, you know? And so the question is, are there some free resources that you can get your, or get some, or are there, are there advocates, if you will, who can help you navigate these systems? You know, uh, Dale, I'm so glad that you said that. I do have to apologize for calling you Josie earlier. Um, I get in a sports-minded thing with, you know, any sort of podcasters or yeah. <laughs> personalities. It's like one of our friends, uh, Terry Miners, I always call him Miners. I don't think I've ever used his first name. But, um, right. but I'm, I'm glad you did bring that up because, again, I'm going to go back to the State Departments of Veterans Affairs. So, Every state department has incredible resources that are free. And like in Kentucky, we have about 22 state veteran service representatives that cover the 120 counties. They're field reps that are located in regional areas. They are free to use. They are the state's veterans advocates. And why I why I really implore everyone to look at their state resources is because unlike the federal VA representatives, which are good, but they're not beholden to, I don't want to say place the veteran first. They, you know, they're weighing between the VA and the veteran, right? right? And some of our VA partners are really wonderful. We've got a great regional office downtown, which is co-located with the VA and it's awesome partnership. But your state Department of Veterans Affairs have state veteran service representatives that are paid for by the state to be able to champion. The veteran is their number one priority. Mm -hmm. These people are experts at filing benefits. They're experts at getting resources. That State Department of Veterans Affairs should have more resources at their fingertips than any other entity within the state or surrounding areas. They should know where every homeless shelter is that services veterans. They should know all the women veterans, healthcare issues and needs within uh, that state. They should know it all. And so I would implore for any veteran out there or family that's interested, whether you're in Kentucky or in another state, you need to go to your state Department of Veterans Affairs and find out what resources are available there and give them a call. Um, I, I will tell you this. 10 out of 10 times when a veteran calls me and says that they need help um, and they've tried or they're lost, they don't know where to go to, 
Um, mm-hmm. I have friends who are lawyers. I appreciate what they do and there are dire needs uh, for veterans. But I will tell you, 10 out of 10 times, I'm going to tell them, call the State Department of Veterans Affairs, ask for a veteran service representative in your region and go meet with them. Excellent. That, to me, that's that's the game changer right there. But well, now we're going to talk about your secondary passion, which is the Rosemary Clooney House. You bought this house, which was built in, what, 1835, I read. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about this museum and how the White Christmas, being Crosby movie, uh, artifacts became part of this museum. You know, it's a crazy story, Dale. Um, you know, of course, I grew up with the Clooney family. I'm from Augusta in Maysville, Kentucky. Rosemary was born in Maysville, but she bought a house in 1980 in Augusta. They're right next to each other. And we call it, we kind of call it Northeastern Kentucky because okay. like Covington and Newport don't really, we're not city enough, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're standing from like Augusta to Ashland, Kentucky is a particular piece of the pie on the Ohio yeah. River. Uh, but the Clooney family has been in Augusta, I guess, since maybe the 70s. And George, you know, graduated high school there. Um, I was in school there till about third grade. Then we moved to Maysville, where I finished out at Mason County High School. But the important thing is that when I became Miss America, the second phone call I received after winning was Rosemary Clooney. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I was already, you know, whisked away to New York City. I was about ready to do some media that week. And my traveling companion uh, said, hey, you'll never guess who's on the phone for you. It's Rosemary Clooney. And Rosemary knew what it was like to be a small town Kentucky girl and to be thrust into this mm. crazy wild uh, ride, right? Yeah, yeah. Publicity and, you know, the, the, the PR sort of life. And she contacted me um, about once a week throughout that year to make sure I was doing well. I got a chance to see her sing. She was doing um, a stint in at the Regency on Park Avenue. Mm. And I think what was the original Michael Feinstein room. And so I got a chance to see her perform several times. And she always dedicated the song Sweet Kentucky Ham to me. (laughs) That's your first piece of homework. It's only on one of her albums called (laughs) Girl Singer. And it's about a traveling salesman. So when you listen to that song, you'll know why she dedicated it to me several times. Sweet Um, Kentucky Ham. I'll have to listen to that. And we also had the privilege of lighting the Rockefeller Christmas tree together. Um, I was in New York and I was on the platform with Matt Lauer and Al Roker. And she was down at the ice skating rink and she sang White Christmas. And then she tossed it back up to us and she said, Heather, tell the folks back home. I said, Merry Christmas. So we had a wonderful friendship and she was such a mentor to me. I got a chance to perform with she and Debbie Boone toward the the end of my year at the Rosemary Clooney Jazz Festival. Mm -hmm. But when she passed away in, I think it was like Mm 2003-ish, I believe. Stephen's better on the statistics uh, than I am. But her daughter, Monsita, called us and asked us if we wanted to purchase the home uh, before they put it up for sale. And of course, we said yes. Rosemary always knew I wanted a place back home in Augusta. And she also was really um, adamant that I never forget where I came from. She was such a tried and true Kentucky gal, right? Mm. I mean, everywhere she went, she talked about Kentucky. She was so proud of her roots here in Kentucky. And she really implored upon me to like, never forget that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was true. After Miss America, I came home. I married Steve. He was a sitting lieutenant governor. We entrenched ourselves really within Kentucky, which is awesome. And then buying her house, you know, we really thought, hey, it'll be open for festivals from time yeah. to time, you know, yeah. whatever. And then we we did this crazy partnership with Paramount Studios, and they loaned us our first few pieces in the museum. 
Um, and then now it's a hundred percent museum. Like every nook and cranny has costumes, wow. memorabilia from her life and career in music and movies. Yeah. The most noted of course, being the white Christmas exhibits. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, for our, for our listeners, uh, white Christmas was, uh, was quite the movie. I mean, 1954, it was released and it's a great story. Um, and so, the, but in terms of the artifacts and costumes that you have, uh, Heather, which one would you say is the most, uh, should I say, uh, the one that has the most draw or, or special appeal yeah, most to you? most iconic, yes. Yeah, most iconic. Thank you, madam. Yeah. What would you say? Undoubtedly, the most iconic set of costumes are the sisters' dresses. People come in literally singing the song Sisters. Um, if you've seen the movie, even if you haven't seen the movie, you probably have heard the, the song. Yeah. But it is available on Netflix, so there's no excuse, right? You yeah, know, you right. You can 24-7, certainly right. now. But what's great about this movie is it's one of the most beloved holiday classics. It's, it's ranked as the top three, along with like Christmas Story and It's a Wonderful Life. Um, these three particular Christmas movies tend to be like generational, right? Where one generation shows the other generation and it's like a passed down tradition. And not only do I love this movie because it was Rosemary's like highlight of her career as far as her films and, and go certainly but the entire premises of the film is a military yes, it, yes. It is, the entire theme is to yes. pay honor to general waverly sacrifice and service during world war ii and so yeah. it opens up with the scene in world war ii and it closes with the military scene <laughs> and the whole entire plot is yeah. how can we like like Tell General Waverly how much we appreciate him so he's not doesn't feel forgotten, yeah. certainly. And so with that, it just is a double meaning for me, not only preserving this wonderful collection yeah. as a designer and a curator, but mm -hmm. then um, also to be able to spread that wonderful message of honoring our military. Yeah, I saw that when I was reading the uh, doing the research for our interview. I saw the the symmetry, if you will, because it's uh, uh, General uh, Waverly owns a, a inn in Vermont. It's fallen on hard times. And the uh, boys are like, we got to do something to help him. You know, it's like you said, it's uh, Bing Crosby, uh, Danny Kay, uh, Rosemary Clooney, and Judy Hayes or in, Haynes. Or uh, Vera Ellen. I'm yeah. sorry, Vera Ellen's playing the role yeah, of Judy. She plays Haynes. Judy Haynes. Yeah. And what's interesting, yeah. too, is Vera Ellen um, was from Norwood, Ohio, which is smack dab in the middle of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. You know, Rosemary, of course, grew up in Augusta, or Maysville, if entered her life, uh, finished her life in Augusta. But she actually graduated high school in Cincinnati, and that's where she got her start on WLW Radio. And then George Shakiris, who later went on to win an Oscar for West Side Story, was from Norwood, Ohio. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> there's a lot of tri-state, you know, yeah. fingers, certainly, in this movie, which is so great. But you're right. The synergy there for me with, of course, my love for design and fashion and curating and historic preservation, and then also this this military theme, which led us to, um, as we now travel this collection every holiday season. Yeah. So um, we've partnered it with a wonderful project called Operation Waverly. Mm -hmm. And there is a point in the movie where Bing Crosby, he's on the Ed Harrison television show, and he's trying to get all of the, the troops, the guys to come back to the, to come to the end, right? It, to survive yeah. Waverly. And he literally says, let Operation Waverly commence. And I just had this epiphany. I mean, we've had this museum open since like 2005. And last year, before it went to Greenville, South Carolina for the holiday season, 
it was just like a light bulb went off and I went, yes, that <laughs> is the missing component to this traveling exhibit. We have to partner the host museum with a local veteran organization. That's amazing. And for folks to get more information, uh, and Heather, correct me if I'm wrong, it looks like it's rosemaryclooney.org. Is that where yes, folks you can get go there? to rosemaryclooney.org, find out more about the museum and the program. You can also uh, follow uh, Rosemary Clooney on Instagram or me under Heather French Henry on Instagram or, and DM me uh, to find out more information. Yeah. Well, this has been a delightful interview. And uh, it, it's amazing how uh, when you talk about being creative, how multifaceted you are. If, 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 and if folks go to your <laughs> website, Henry French, Heather French Henry, I mean, it's, you got a blog, you have inspirational writings and you have some sketches. I had no idea that you're very talented in terms of sketches. I mean, well, people don't know, right? I mean, right. when you become Miss America, you do get put into sort of one silo and yeah. that's what I'm most known for. But no, I taught fashion illustration for two years as a graduate student uh, before I became Miss America. Um, you know, I'm not ashamed of my artistic talent. Certainly, I hone that my entire of course, life. Of course. I do a lot of illustrations for other companies, one called Crown Prestige. We do a lot of fun sort of pageant illustrations. Yeah. Uh, but I have, I've had my own design company for many years, certainly. Um, what I do think is great about, you know, the life that I lead is it's very unusual. Everybody's life has different unusual tendencies in their own. It's all relative. But, you know, I, I have a hard time just pegging myself as one thing or the other, right? Because of this America, I've been given a plethora of opportunities. And it just would be a shame to say no. Well you know, and so I think that, you know, the spice of life is being able to, I've always said, to be a jack of all trades and a master of many. <laughs> <laughs> and we will leave it right there because Heather, this has been absolutely <laughs> delightful. I could go on and on with you. This has been great. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, keep up the good work with the veterans as well, you know, especially, as I said, and I'll say it again in conclusion, uh, freedom is not free. And I think the more we really uh, take that to heart, we will give some of our greatest gratitude as a nation to some of its uh, greatest, finest men and women, which are those who have served in our military. Thank you so much, Heather, and keep up the good fight. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. This has been your host, Dale Josie, for this edition. This is our uh, second, this is our first edition, our first episode of our second season of Aging with Grace. Thank you so much, listeners, for uh, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. You can also listen to past episodes on my website, awg55.com. This series is made possible through the support of Kentucky AARP and DPL Financial. Till next time. This has been Dale Josie, host of Aging with Grace.